0: On this episode of Catholics in the Capital,
1: our guests today are Monica Shaw, authors of Rainwater Secret, Jonathan Terrell, Catholic convert and marathon runner, Father Jack Hurley from the Cathedral of St. Matthews, and Dan Dan the Radio Man, Michael Wasabah, and all this and more. Stay tuned for Catholic Radio for your soul.
0: Catholics in the Capital starts right now.
1: Good afternoon, friends. I am your radio host, Christina Cox, and thank you for joining us on Catholics in the Capitol. We are coming to you from our nation's capital in Washington, D.C. Today, on Friday, February 23rd, 2018. Well, I'm excited to be here, for we have an interesting show today, and these are survival stories about people trying to change the world in a large way. You're going to want to stay tuned today because we have two great interviews coming up. My first guest is author Monica Shaw, and she has written a book called Rainwater Secrets. And it's a fascinating story about her aunt named Anna Goodwell, who joined the medical missionaries of Mary. And Anna leaps into the unknown and goes to work in Nigeria, Africa, Her life changes as she discovers that there are many people suffering from leprosy and they are living in terrible conditions, especially against the extreme weather conditions. They're not having the proper elements to live like a home, food every day, education, to live without help and to live in hiding. This is a fascinating story as we learn about how Anna leaned on God for her strength and faith to help these adults and children who are considered outcasts. Monica is one of the most fascinating and compelling authors today, so stay tuned and listen to her heartfelt story. On our second interview, my wonderful co-host Dan DeBossi is going to interview Jonathan Terrell, who is a convert to the Catholic faith, and he's a marathon man with a cause for running. Once an Anglian, he didn't like the way the church was. They were not pro-life, so he left. He became a true Catholic. And Jonathan is the president of KCIC, a consulting firm here in Washington, D.C. He takes this world of marathon challenge to raise money helping children with mental disabilities. What makes it such an astonishing story is that Jonathan runs in all kinds of weather conditions. He runs in Dubai, where it's really hot. He runs in Antarctica, where it's so cold. And it could be raining in one place and snowing in another. But Jonathan's mental state is one of prayer. And this is how he survives all these adversities. He takes his faith and hope to seven continents. While Jonathan is running, his inspiration, hes sang the rosary. So it may give him strength and stamina to complete such a difficult task for running killer speeds for seven days. He turns to the Blessed Virgin Mary in prayer and asks for her intercession to her son Jesus Christ. Friends, today these stories are about survival, and survival is some of the toughest conditions in life. Are you in survival mode today? Are you just surviving on your own? Well, I would like to tell you, you can survive if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now think about Jesus when he speaks to his disciples when they were sailing in a sudden storm, and he tells them, you men of little faith. Well, have faith, for you have to hold on in the toughest times in life, and these are tough times. These tough times will pass, and God will bring the light. So keep in prayer. Just remember in Exodus 12, 2. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. Let us, friends, begin with a prayer of hope for all those that are trying to survive in the world right now. So if you're listening, let's pray together. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Heavenly Father, I am your humble servant. I come before you today in a need of hope. There are times when I feel helpless. There are times when I feel weak. I pray for hope. I need hope for a better future. I need hope for a better life. I need hope for love and kindness. Some say that the sky is at its darkest just before the light. I pray that this is true for all seems dark. I need your light, Lord, in every way. I pray to be filled with your light from head to toe to bask in your glory, to know all is right in this world, as you have planned and as you want it to be. So help me, dear Lord, to walk in your light and live my life in faith and glory. In your name I pray. Amen. Joining me in the studio is my co-host, Michael Wasaba, who will tell us what is happening with Pope Francis this week. Hi, Michael. How are you?
0: I am doing very well. How are you, Christina?
1: I'm doing wonderful. We had a couple of warm days this week.
0: It's been beautiful. It's been such a nice break from the frigid temperatures that we're used to. You were mentioning about the runner who ran in in Antarctica. Yes. He could probably have trained here in Washington DC to get prepared <laughs> for that. It was bitterly cold over the.
1: Well, he lives past here. Or works here. Yeah. So, so I he, mean, he was ready for it. He probably trained here.
0: I know. Let's get started with some Vatican news. Unfortunately, we must start on a somber note. The tragic shooting that happened in Florida has made its way across the sea all the way over to Pope Francis. The Pope has come out and offered his condolences, saying in a letter on February 15th that he was, quote, deeply saddened to learn of the tragic shooting, end quote, that took place at the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida. It was just a terrible, tragic event. He also prays that the Almighty God may grant eternal rest to the dead and healing and consolation to the wounded and those who grieve with the hope that such senseless acts of violence may cease. Pope Francis invokes upon all of you the divine blessing of peace and strength. That was in a letter addressed to the Archbishop Thomas Wensky of Miami that, again, just... A terrible, terrible incident that happened down at Parkland, Florida. And it's honestly, Christina, it's been something that's been happening too much for my liking. I yeah, mean one one time upsetting. is one time is too much, but now it's becoming almost a, a regular occurrence.
1: No, well, you have to worry about when you send your children to school, and, um, and that shouldn't be it, the case. And it happens, and then people forget about it, and then a couple of months later, we have another incident. Yep. And um, so on behalf of the Guadalupe Radio Network and all the people that work here and at Catholics in the Capitol, we want to give our deepest condolences to the families and to the victims, and we pray for healing for uh, the people of that town. And where did it take place in Florida? Parkland, you know? Florida. Parkland, it was in Parkland, Florida, yes. Florida
0: yeah. And then Lastly, Christina, uh, some interesting news, not necessarily in the best light, but interesting nonetheless. Pope Francis said in a conversation with Jesuits during his recent visit to Peru, he said that Pope Francis will meet regularly. With victims of sexual abuse on Fridays, and that while the percentage of priests who abuse is relatively low, even one is too many. Again, just everything in the news today seems to be funneling around abuse and violence. And it's nice to see that Pope Francis is Speaking willing up. to, yeah, speak out and, and to offer the consolation and the support. I think that's a big thing. He, he's offering support by meeting with these people who have been abused
1: yes. personally. So well, he did that when he came to um, his came to the U.S. Exactly. He did meet some people that were abused by even some priests or whatever and he pulled the people aside and he apologized. Yeah. So good um, for him. Yes. Good for him. He's doing a great job. Well, let's keep Pope Francis in our prayers and um, hope that he continues to have a safe journey wherever he goes. Well, Michael, thank you so much for joining us with the Pope Francis report today. Yeah, of course. And um, so we look forward to uh, getting Dan Dan, the radio man, on next. Sounds good. Okay, great. Thank you.
0: Catholics in the Capital will return right after this break on 1160 AM WMET.
1: Established
2: in 1992, the Susan Andrew Mona Foundation was founded on the element of a mother's love for her son. 26 years later, this local nonprofit operates on nothing less and carries on the tradition of neighbors helping neighbors. For more information, to donate, or to follow our projects, please find us on facebook.com backslash a. Mona Foundation. That's Facebook.com backslash S-A-M-O-N-A Foundation.
3: We're back to Catholics in the Capital. I am Dan DiBiasi. For this segment, I am joined by Jonathan Terrell, who is the founder and president of KCIC, a consulting firm that helps companies manage their product lines. Now, Jonathan is also a husband and father of two sons, He's a convert to the Catholic faith and a practicing Catholic, and he's also a founding member of the Washington, D.C. chapter of Legatus. But there's another interesting thing about Jonathan that a little bit later in life, he got interested in running athletics, and uh, Jonathan has completed more than 25 marathons and multiple triathlons. And just about a few weeks ago, he probably completed one of his most impressive challenges, the World Marathon Challenge, which involves seven marathons in seven days on seven continents. Jonathan, thank you for joining us.
4: Thanks for having me. Glad to be on the show. Thank you.
3: Before we get to the World Marathon Challenge, there is a reason why you're doing this uh, marathon challenge. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
4: I sure can. It was one of maybe three occasions in my life when I actually felt a really strong sense of vocation to do something. And I'm on the Corporate Advisory Board at Children's National here in D.C. And I learned that one of the big dreams and priorities for That hospital network is around pediatric and adolescent mental health and I've had a lifelong interest in mental illness and I thought maybe I can combine this extreme athletic challenge with raising awareness about pediatric and adolescent mental health and also raise the profile of the hospital at the same time and it all came together.
3: And uh, how much are you looking to raise about for uh, this cause?
4: I put out a big goal of a million dollars, and I'm a little bit above 250000 at this point.
3: And if someone didn't want to uh, donate to your cause, where can they go to do that?
4: Well, you can go to my uh, website, which is taketherisk.run, taketherisk.run.
3: In the news in general, you don't hear a lot about children's mental health uh, issues. Uh, why do you think it doesn't get as much coverage or as much um, you know, support in trying to help the cause?
4: Stigma, And it is scandalous that stigma around mental illness persists from generation to generation. But it does, even though the science definitively has established that physical and mental illnesses have the same underlying causes. Still, the stigma prevents most children with a diagnosable mental illness from ever receiving treatment. In fact, just one in five children who are diagnosed with a mental illness will ever receive treatment, usually years after the event, but pediatric mental illness and adolescent mental illness does affect about 20% of all children at some point in their childhood.
3: Wow, so it's about one in five children is potentially gonna suffer from some kind of mental health issue. So that shows you know how prevalent it is and it doesn't even get anywhere near the attention it deserves.
4: It's probably impossible to find something that will give you more bang for your buck either because with some early intervention the entire span of a life can be changed. And not only have we had some horrible, tragic teenage suicides in the area in recent months, but beyond that, you hear about someone losing a brother or a son in their fifties who'd struggled through their entire lives with schizophrenia or another mental illness, but it was undiagnosed in childhood and if it had been caught early the the outcome of their lives could have
3: been so different. And the amazing thing too, is to help build awareness, you kind of went out and did something a little bit beyond normal. So you you participate in this world marathon challenge. And again, it's seven marathons in seven days on seven continents. It started, I'll just run down through the list. On day one, you're in Antarctica, then you go to Cape Town, South Africa, then Perth, Australia, Dubai, Lisbon, Portugal, then Cartagena, Colombia, and then you finish in Miami, Florida. I just have to ask you, the first marathon you ran, Antarctica, obviously you had to probably dress a little bit warmer for the climate and everything, but what was it like running Antarctica, and did you have to adjust anything in your your approach to running the marathon?
4: It was cold, even though it was summer in Antarctica, it was cold, and we had to run essentially on ice with a little bit of snow on top of it, but the surface was essentially blue ice, so we had to wear... You know, specialized running shoes with enough grip on them to allow us to run on that surface. And fortunately, we've had some really frigid weeks of weather here in the D.C. area, and I was able to test out all my running gear ahead of time. So, simply having the right equipment was important. What took many of us unawares is that during the course of the race, the temperature dropped dramatically, and the wind really picked up. Of course, you have to be careful not to wear too many clothes because once you start sweating at that kind of temperature, the sweat turns to ice, and that is really dangerous as well. But many of us were caught out with insufficient clothing towards the end of the race, myself included.
3: Now, was there a venue that you really enjoyed running in or you had the best experience during the the World Marathon Challenge?
4: I think I had uh, maybe three or four favorite places. So definitely Cartagena. In Colombia was one of my favorites. I hadn't been to South America before and I take a lot of energy from the sights and sounds and people and for that particular race we were running through the uh, walled old part of the city and there was piazzas and people out strolling and and horses and carts and all kinds of stuff and it was just a a fun place to run. Another fun place was Dubai when we were running next to the Persian Gulf. And there was that you know, iconic skyline of Dubai and the uh, tower blocks and Gulf was walking along in their robes and, and women in burqas and just such a, such a mix of, of cultural experience. And that was a really interesting place to run as well.
3: I imagine, so seven marathons over seven days. Was there a point during this challenge that you kind of hit a wall possibly or you had the, the toughest struggle? And if so, how did you kind of overcome it or did you prepare ahead of time for it?
4: I was extremely well prepared, and I have to give a shout out to the, the two coaches and trainers who, who got me ready for this event. And it, it went pretty much according to plan until the fifth marathon in Lisbon, when I had a, a stomach upset, and you know, vomited early in the race, and had other issues going on. And I had made a deal with myself that success looked like running every step of every race. I was not going to walk and I really struggled in Lisbon, it took me six hours, the slowest marathon I've ever run, and I was very connected to the saints, I was very connected to my chapter of Lagardas, and many other people who I'd asked to pray for me, and I felt sustained by their prayers, and in particular, I prayed to Blessed Carl of Austria, and to Saint Timothy, and felt that you know, I could keep going. And that was a very profoundly spiritual experience to be grinding out that marathon.
3: From what I understand, from going from each location over the seven days you had transportation provided, now I'm kind of curious, in between the races, what did you do to rest or recuperate, prepare yourself for the next one?
4: So most of the races were run in the evening hours or at night. For instance, in in Dubai, I finished at 2 a.m. And I have evolved a whole recovery protocol that I go through after these races, which involves a lot of stretching and yoga and rolling and using a compression system, which takes me, you know, close to two hours to do all that. And then I have to eat and drink a ton as well. So by the time I finished all that, there wasn't really any time to sleep and we had to go straight to the airport. So, you know, we'd get on the uh, flight and I'd just sleep as much as I possibly could on the flight. I'm not a big sleeper at the best of times. I get by just fine on 6 hours sleep, and I didn't get a lot of sleep on this trip, but it was enough.
3: And then what must have been the, the feeling like when you crossed the finish line in Miami, Florida, the last day of the challenge? What was that like? Was it just pure exhilaration, or you just completely exhausted?
4: I had a tough time of the seventh race as well. My stomach problems were bothering me again, and I was having trouble keeping anything down. But I was supported there. I was surprised. I had a whole bunch of maybe 14 people came down to to, to support me. I knew my family was coming, but lots of friends and colleagues came down as well. So I was really energized by them. And, you know, I was just kind of grinding this marathon out again. But I had one of my PR people run with me for a loop. And then one of my trainers, Tiffany Nesfield, ran a loop with me. And then my two sons ran some, but one son in particular, Tristan, he ran a loop. And that was very energizing. But then he saw on that final loop that I was really suffering. So he stayed with me. He ended up running almost 11 miles, which is the greatest run of his life. And my coach, Tiffany, jumped back in. And they kind of entertained me and sustained me through that last loop. And then we got to the final turn, and I had 2.6 miles to go, and Tiffany said, come on, let's, let's go for it. And I suddenly found this last burst of reserves of energy and I was able to tear down the last couple of miles and almost sprint the last mile. And I wanted to go over the finish line holding a banner for Children's National, and Tiffany had a tough time getting ahead to get that banner to me, but then I held it and went across the finish line. And of course, I had so many people there of course i was you know excited and exhilarated but then there's a picture of me just a couple of minutes later with my eyes closed and and just looking completely spent and we went out to celebrate uh for dinner and unfortunately i fell asleep at the table but um everyone forgave me
3: and that's amazing because you think in running you're solo you're by yourself but it's great to hear that you had your trainer your son's there you know your family to kind of take the journey with you. And you kind of even mentioned a little bit earlier you had the communion of saints at times helping you. And I'm kind of curious, because you're a practicing Catholic, and can you talk a little bit about how your faith has kind of impacted your marathon running, your athletics, this challenge, and maybe vice versa, the athletics has impacted your faith?
4: It definitely has, and and running is a deeply spiritual activity for me. And of course, St. Paul frequently uses the metaphor of running in his epistles, and, you know, I stayed the course, and all that sort of thing is is very much part of his writing. But my relationship with endurance athletics began when the Diocese of Washington DC had a run for vocations team running the Marine Corps Marathon, and that caught my imagination when I read about it, and I was in terrible shape physically at the time. And I decided to run a half-marathon just to see if I could and then joined that Run for Vocations team. And then I loved it and I signed up for a marathon, you know, the next day and I've been running marathons ever since. I've now run more than 35 marathons, actually. But I, early on, always, if I could, signed up with a charity team and typically a Catholic charity team. So it's a great time for, for spirituality. Sometimes. I pray the rosary, sometimes I pray uh, the rosary multiple times during a race, and sometimes offer it up in particular for someone who is sick, and that has uh, been a great way to combine the athleticism with my spiritual journey. And, you know, I often speak about the mental side of endurance, and I will speak about it in terms, but the truth is these are very Catholic and religious things. First of all, I approach it from a place of gratitude, which is just another way of saying worship. Secondly, I approach it from a place of belief and believing in my mission and myself, but of course, believing in God and believing in, in, in the higher purpose of, of what I'm doing. And thirdly, for my relationship with pain, and it is painful to run these endurance events. But you know, suffering is something that we can offer up in our Catholic faith and, and we do learn to endure discomfort. We do have a mortification as part of our spiritual inheritance and so really my Catholic faith and my relationship to endurance athletics are very profoundly, deeply connected.
3: Again, if you want to help children's mental health issues and support Jonathan's cause, you can still go to the website taketherisk.run. You could make a donation because even though I believe, even though the challenge is completed, Jonathan, you're still in the process of still trying to raise funds for children's mental health services, right?
4: Yes, not just funds, but also awareness. The day after I got back, I hosted an evening of awareness at my children's school, uh, with psychiatrists from children's and and parents, uh, with an opportunity to to ask questions, which I intend to be just a prototype, and I'm looking to really hold evenings of awareness at least once a month at DC schools to get this subject of of adolescent and pediatric mental illness out, and have better normal healthy conversations about it, so that parents and children can think about this not as some sort of weakness or something to be ashamed of, but simply as, as an illness like any other that can be addressed. So this will probably be a lifetime commitment for me to focus on transnational and to focus on this particular issue.
3: Again, the website is taketherisk.run. Jonathan, I want to thank you for joining us for this segment. Thank you.
4: Thanks for having me. Thanks a lot.
3: This is Catholics in the Capital, and we'll be back after this break.
5: On Saturday, February 24th, from 9.45 a.m. to noon, all women are invited to the St. John Paul II National Shrine for Tea and Rosary for Mothers. There's a short presentation, breakfast, meditation on the rosary, silent prayer, discussion with the Sisters of Our Lady of Mercy, and reconciliation. Babysitting is available, and all are welcome to stay for Mass at noon. To RSVP, go to teaandrosary.eventbrite.com.
0: This is Monsignor Walter Rossi, the Rector of the Basilica of the National Shrine of the Immaculate Conception in Washington, D.C. And you are listening to 1160 AM WMET on the Guadalupe Radio Network.
1: Welcome back to Catholics in the Capital. And with me in the studio today is our favorite Spiritual friend Father Jack Hurley from the Cathedral of St Matthew's. Welcome Father, how are you today?
6: I'm very fine, thank you. It's uh,
1: Glad to hear as that.
6: I'm moving along into Lent. I stay away from chocolates.
1: Oh, don't mention that. That's my weakness. So what saints have you brought us today?
6: Well, in the coming days, we celebrate the memory of three remarkable women. Who gave their lives in witness to love of God and neighbor, Mother Catherine Drexel, and the martyrs Perpetua and Felicity. Catherine, who lived from 1858 to 1955 and who was canonized in the year 2000, was an heiress of one of the wealthiest families in America, the prominent Drexel family of Philadelphia. Early on, her religious concern extended to those outside the church and on the periphery of American society, namely Native American Indians and African Americans. At the age of 20, during a private audience that she held along with others with Pope Leo XIII, She urged the Pope to send priests to serve the Indians, but he responded, why not become a missionary yourself? Consequently, she realized a call not only to share her wealth, but her life as well to those in need. In the 1890s, she established a religious congregation, the Sisters of the Blessed Sacrament for Indians and colored people. Annually, from her inheritance, hundreds of thousands of dollars went to the support of projects for Indians and blacks. In the 1920s, she contributed $750,000, a lot of money at that time, certainly, toward the founding of Xavier University in New Orleans, the only Catholic college established for blacks. By the time of her death, on March 3, 1955, she had been responsible for establishing 145 Catholic missions and 12 schools for Indians and 50 schools for black students. Her burial remains at the mother house in Ben Salem, just outside Philadelphia will shortly be transferred to the cathedral of St. Peter and Paul there in the near future. Why? Well, the sisters are growing old and funds were needed to look after them, and so the mother house and shrine property is being sold. The exceptional character of Catherine Drexel's commitment in an era of rigidly enforced segregation, may have been far from the consciousness of many Americans, including many American Catholics, but it certainly had a profound witness value. I do also want to single out the celebration of Perpetua and Felicity this coming Wednesday, March the 7th. Not only was the narration of their martyrdom in the early 3rd century very widely read and listened to, but even now reveals the significance of their role of vocation and identity as women amongst the various competing claims of our society.
1: That's wonderful, Father. Uh, I know we only have a few minutes, but I wanted to ask you, first of all, she must uh, Catherine Drexel must have had quite a vision. And because she was educated, she knew the uh, value of that, and she had a deep compassion for other people that didn't have those opportunities. Plus, how can you say no to Pope Leo? How do you say no to a pope? (laughs) Just make a suggestion, that's it.
6: Well, she was fortunate, like the little flower, to have been raised in in a very supportive and compassionate Catholic family. And indeed, she is considered to be the patron of philanthropists. That's and as well as certainly a patron of those striving for
1: racial justice. Wow, well that's very interesting, and I would love to hear more, and I would love to go to the Cathedral of Philadelphia when they move her there. That will be certainly a, probably a mass and attract a lot of people. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Father. Thank you. We'll be right back to Catholics in the Capital.
3: Mona Electric Group is the leader in commercial and industrial electrical contracting in the D.C. Baltimore metro area with over 700 employees and over 250 trucks on the road. Founded by Cap Mona in 1966, Mona leads the industry in electrical service, renovation construction, new construction, fire alarm system, data system, and security system solutions. And with over $10 million in charitable giving as published in the Washington Business Journal, Mona Electric Group is the responsible choice in commercial and industrial electrical contracting. Visit getmona.com for details. That's getmona.com.
2: Are you looking for a school for your daughter, grade 6 through 12, that offers an inspiring education grounded in the teachings of the Catholic Church? Oak Crest School, an independent all-girls school, has been doing that for over 40 years. For more information or to set up a tour at its beautiful new campus centrally located in Vienna, Virginia, go to oakcrest.org forward slash W-M-E-T. That is oakcrest.org forward slash W-M-E-T.
1: Well, we're back with Catholics in the Capitol, and joining me now is Dan Dan, the radio man, and we're going to talk about what fun things to do in Washington, D.C. How are you, Dan?
3: I'm great, Christina. How are you?
1: I'm doing well, thank you. So what's going on? You know, this is Black History Month, and there's a lot of events going around town.
3: Yes. so yeah, it's a special month, Black History Month, and for this weekend, I picked out uh, a couple things. Uh, First in particular, the Martin Luther King Memorial. Um, a lot of people might be familiar with it, it's probably not one of the more notorious memorials, but it is a great one to go to, and I highly recommend it. And actually, this Saturday, they're having a special talk titled, The Preacher and Two Presidents. Uh, and It's about Martin Luther King's relationship with uh, President Kennedy and then President Johnson during the Civil Rights Movement. They're giving a talk this Saturday at 4 p.m. and 6 p.m. at the memorial, so it should be outside. But I implore people to go, if you can't this Saturday, go another day because they usually have a a ranger that comes out daily, gives talks about the memorial and highlighting different historical facts and a lot of the quotes that you see around the memorial. So it's a great memorial to go visit and I highly recommend it this month especially.
1: I haven't been over there yet, but it's such a beautiful piece of art. I don't know who the artist was that carved that image of uh, Martin Luther King, but it is really powerful.
3: Yeah, and it's great to learn why they structured the memorial that way, because he's coming out of a mountain. Oh, was uh, that Himself, it? yeah. A piece of the mountain's coming out with him in front of it. And so, I don't want to still any thunder, but uh, go to the site so you can learn why it was designed okay, and built that I way. Okay, will. It's very interesting. But another thing I implore people since it's Black History Month is to go to the National Museum of African American History and Culture. Now, I know this is one of the harder tickets to get into to see the museum. So if you want to go there, you have to get a time pass beforehand. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know when it first opened up was one of the hardest tickets to get. I haven't had an opportunity to go myself. My wife went and she just raved about it. Really? And I know she was there for two hours and she said that didn't even do it justice. Um, you need to go back multiple times. But obviously this museum goes through many different periods. So we're going you know, through slavery, the post-Civil War reconstruction, the Harlem Renaissance, and the Civil Rights Movement up until today. Well, I highly recommend people to go to it. I've heard nothing but great things about it. And I know um, on February 26th, they have um, the U.S. Army Band Pershing's Own coming to perform there at 3 p.m., so if you have a chance on that day to come out for that concert, uh, that's an event there uh, specifically, but I would go just for the museum itself, and I know they're always having new events and exhibits, so that is a must for uh, you know Black History Month.
1: Well, I drive by there a lot when I'm going out uh, to uh, Arlington, you know, going out through 14th Street, and it's in such a great location. It's right there by the Washington Monument, and they always have lines Wrapped around that museum. So it's popular from the day it opened,
3: yes, right there in Constitution Avenue. It's you know right there in the midst of the National Mall, a great location. But yeah, if you haven't gone, then I would say now is the time to go.
1: And I remember it. when president uh, barack obama and and Michelle Obama, they opened up that museum not too long ago. was it in his last year presidency.
3: Yeah, so it's, it's probably the, the newest of the Smithsonian museums. So um, definitely, if you've tried the other ones, I know the Air and Space or the American History Museum or Natural History Museum are more popular or most popular traditionally. This is uh, the up-and-coming museum for people to check out.
1: Well, speaking about presidents, I'm going to an event on Wednesday, February 28th. It's called A Grandson's Reflection on Remembering the Truman White House. And it takes place at the White House Historical Association, 1610 H street and washington dc and it is actually the great-grandson clifton daniel will share his family experiences at the white house about his grandfather and how they lived in the executive mansion and it really was part of american history and there'll be a light reception to follow and if you'd like to get tickets you can get them on eventbrite.com
3: and then one more thing says so, you know we are in lent i know people are trying to do things different things. You know, through Lenten season, you know, one of the things that is uh, pretty popular is Stations of the Cross. And I know um, throughout different parishes, the Basilica, they have Stations of the Cross. Usually, typically, it's on Fridays that they have Stations of the Cross. And, you know, I would implore our listeners to maybe, if you get a chance, to go to the Stations of the Cross. But one other event, this is just for women, is Morning of Reflection for Mothers at the John Paul II National Shrine. And this is part of their Tea and Rosary uh, series. It's this Saturday from 9.45 a.m. to 12 p.m. All women are invited. It has a light breakfast, short presentation, a rosary with uh, meditation, confession, and mass. One of the things I would highlight, though, the Sisters of Our Lady of Mercy are hosting and putting on this event. And we've had the pleasure of meeting Sister Gaudia with uh, the Sisters of Our Lady of Mercy. If you've never met her, she is an amazing person to meet. She's from Krakow, Poland. Oh. Um, Her and her sisters. And she just brightens up the room. And uh, just the joy coming off of her And she's full of knowledge and wisdom I would highly recommend to go to this For all women this morning Reflections at the JP2 uh, National Shrine You can go to jp2shrine.org For more information But also, you know, to highlight The Sisters of Our Lady of Mercy They just had their um, Hour of Mercy uh, The 22nd of each month I would recommend people to go there That's a great series They talk about the Divine Mercy of Jesus And um, do a Reflection they pray, and um, Sisters of Mercy, they're just wonderful. And uh, like I said, Sister Gaudi, I can't say enough great things about her. She's a great friend. And uh, well, if, you, if you get the chance, go to the shrine. And uh, I certainly will. Divine Mercy Chaplet, they do it daily.
1: Well, lots to do during Lent. And, and, you know, take the family and kids to see the museums and so forth, or go up to the memorial for Martin Luther King Jr. Well, thank you, Dan, for joining me today on What to Do in Washington, D.C. It's always great to see you.
3: Great to see you, Christina.
1: Thank you, Dan.
0: Did you know taking the oral contraceptive pill for cycle irregularities may delay or prevent a diagnosis? Try the alternative in NAPRO Technology Approaches, Networking Natural Family Planning and Women's Health, which can help discover the underlying cause. You can find your local fertility care center at fertilitycare.org forward slash Maryland or visit adw.org forward slash family for in-person or distance learning options. Your cycles and your doctor's care in harmony with your spirituality.
5: Not sure what gift to get for your loved one or what book to read next? Go to Pascal Lamb. Pascal Lamb is a full-service Catholic bookstore and gift shop. Located in Fairfax, Virginia, Paschal Lamb has a large variety of top-quality merchandise and a knowledgeable staff. We're open Monday through Saturday from 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. For more information, call 703-273-5956 or shop online at paschalamb.com.
1: And now, on Catholics in the Capital, I'd like to welcome my special guest, Monica Shaw, author of Rainwater Secret. How are you today, Monica? Welcome. Thank you very much. I'm doing well. I appreciate you having me on. Well, I just love your book, and I can't put it down, and especially, you know, I was reading about the medical missionaries of Mary the other night. And their wonderful order and I would love you to tell our audience today about the sisters and about how it began.
2: The Medical Missionaries of Mary were founded by Mother Mary Martin back in 1937 I believe and their mission was to bring a love of God to others through a a service of healing so they would go out to wherever they were needed and bring medical help and um, their motto is rooted and founded in love. They're based in Drahetta, Ireland and um, it's just an amazing group of women.
1: And an astonishing story and the women were from Dublin? Dublin, Illinois, uh, so in Massachusetts and New York, or that's where they have offices, uh, correct?
2: That's that's where they have offices. Their, their mother house is in Draheda, which is outside of Dublin, and then in the United States they have offices in Illinois, Massachusetts, and New York.
1: So the heart of the story is that your great-aunt who you call Anna Goodwill but her real name was Lily Murphy she joined Correct. up with the um, Medical Missionaries of Mary right what attracted her to this order?
2: Uh, I'm not positive but uh, she was a headmistress at a school in Boodle in England and um, I don't know how she heard about the Medical Missionaries of Mary I couldn't find that information but I know that they went out to different churches and tried to get volunteers, and they were looking for a doctor and they were looking for a teacher, so somehow she found out about it and wrote to Mother Mary Martin and asked to be a part of their group, and Mother Mary Martin um, thought she wanted to be a nun, so the, the letter, I have the letter that Mother Mary Martin wrote back to her telling her how to become a nun. And then I have the letter that Lily wrote back saying, "No, no, I don't want to be a nun. I just want to teach."
1: Oh, that's and so fascinating. They had her
2: come. They had her come over to Draheta and live with the sisters for a couple of weeks to make sure that it was a good fit. And once they decided that was okay, then they took her. Uh, they they all went together and, and went to goja.
1: So you're telling this story and uh, how God has led your great aunt to uh Africa and there was a priest there that you write about in the book, Father McKetrick? Mac- Getrick? Is that his Mac- name? No, McKenna, I'm was, sorry.
2: Yeah. In the book his name is uh Father McKenna. In real life his name was Father McKetrick, and he went on to become a bishop and um he was the first one of the first ones out there and uh when he he went he said that he was just astonished by all the people that were just out in the middle of nowhere in the bush they were banished from their villages because they had leprosy and they were so afraid of everybody else in the village getting it that they would kick them out of the village and so they were just out in the bush in the middle of nowhere there were babies and children and adults just left to fend for themselves And so he went to Mother Mary Martin and asked her for help to establish these villages. And so Goja Leprosy Settlement was the first village established and they gave each family or each leper a plot of land. They uh, helped them build a thatch hut. They gave them uh, an area to grow their own food and really just gave them back their dignity. They gave the kids an education and the adults an education.
1: You know, we never hear about leprosy really anymore, but it does exist in certain places in the world. And um, like God had a plan to bring a a father and your aunt, great aunt, and a goodwill there and really make a difference. I, I can't even imagine what it would be like to be an outcast, to be able to have to hide and live in bushes and not only feel embarrassed, but not even be able to be treated you know, like a human being. with uh, Right. So this must have attracted you, this wonderful story. What made you decide to write the book? Was it because of that?
2: No, actually, I I didn't know that much. I I knew my great aunt. I went to visit her a couple of times in England. Uh, She came to Dallas Several times, but I was younger, and honestly, I was too dumb to ask any questions at that point. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, when I I was reading another book, the Guernsey Literary and Potato Peel Society, and it reminded me of Lily, and I couldn't get her out of my head. And so, I thought, well, I'm going to go research and find out about it a little bit more. And the more I researched, the more fascinated I was by the story. And then I got in touch with Sister Catherine, uh, who ran the archives at the uh, Medical Missionaries Mary, and we emailed back and forth, and I decided to plan a trip to Dublin, and so I went with one of my cousins, Tricia, and we, we flew over, and I had planned on spending maybe an afternoon there, but once we got there and got to know the sisters and listening to all their stories, we ended up staying two days. We went back again the next day and visited with them, and just went through the archives and found everything that I could to bring back. And once I saw that, I was I was pretty dead set on that I was gonna to try to write this book.
1: Yes, how did you decide to name the book? And the cover also has uh, some interesting facts. The cover yeah, of the, the book cover, is so beautiful.
2: Thank you, uh, the cover is actually a, I had a local artist in Dallas, his name is Josiah Jones. I had him draw the cover. Uh, It is a picture that she took when she was there. When I was in Dublin, I met one of my cousins for the first time and she had a tin of slides that Lily took while she was there. And so I sent him several of the slides, several of the pictures to give him the feel of what I was looking for and he drew it by hand. So it's it's beautiful and it captures uh, exactly what I was looking for. So, uh, and, and as far as the um, the name of the book, uh, The Rainwater Secret, when she was interviewed once, I can't remember if it was a, a, a newspaper in England or if it was the Dallas Morning News, but she was talking about when she was younger and a, a German plane landed in their backyard during the war and that they were on rations and they were drinking the rainwater and the interviewer said she got kind of a twinkle in her eye and she said... Um, I guess I'm back to Rainwater, talking about what they were doing in Africa. And that stuck with me. And so originally I was thinking maybe of naming the book Back to Rainwater. But then as, you know, the book progressed, I really wanted her to have a sense of home with her while she was in Africa because she was all by herself. And um, so I, you know, made sure that she had her tea and made sure she had her well tooth comb that her dad gave her.
1: Those things sure were important up, to her. Yeah, yes. the, the
2: washing of the hair and the rain barrel, and that's kind of how it all came about.
1: Well, we only have a couple more minutes, so I want to uh, get to a couple more questions real quickly. So what will the readers come away with after reading the book? What were you trying to uh, inspire this good news for Catholics? You
2: know, it is good news for Catholics. I think that with everything going on in the world today and all the negativity, I really want people— to see I, I think this book is all about hope it's all about good love it's all about good people and I, I hope that it inspires people to do good to just be positive
1: right, and to and be hopeful there are good and to have yeah, faith absolutely. so um, right you know so let, let me ask you what this inspiring story what did you learn about Anna's faith and trusting in God's will
2: it was undeniable It was unstoppable Um, she she never seemed to waver Uh, she was always very she was a lot of fun she was always very calm and uh, just I think because she had such a good strong belief and you know I think what it's done for for me is just strengthened my belief in the good in the human race I do think people are naturally innately good and if if you remember that then maybe you can spread that goodness around.
1: Well, thank the Lord. That's beautifully said. And um, a couple more questions before we have the last couple of minutes. I know that when I met you, we were able to get your book to Tyler Perry. I mean, let's—you're probably thinking about you <laughs> want to make the movie, right? I would.
2: I would. Lo- I think it would be a great movie. Um, and yeah, I, I was able to get the book into Tyler Perry's hands. So I'm just keeping my fingers crossed that he read it and maybe wants to do something. With it, um, you know, I think, like I said, I think it would be a great movie, uh, an uplifting movie.
1: Send them this radio link when we're done and ask Mr. (laughs) Perry to make the movie for you. It's a fantastic book. Yeah, there you go. Rainwater, Secrets, and where can we go to get the book? Please tell us the website Um, and how they can reach out to you.
2: Okay. Uh, the website is at com, and it has a link there for the book. You can buy it on Amazon. It's in a Kindle and a book version. I'm doing book clubs all over the place, churches, speaking at churches, rotary clubs. I also have a Facebook page called The Rainwater Secret. So any way you want to reach out to me, I'd be happy to talk to you.
1: You Just quickly tell us about the book tour, because you've been doing that a while now, all over the place, right? Yeah, Florida, Texas, Texas.
2: Right, I'm in Minnesota right now doing uh, a book club, Uh, went to New York, uh, went to Washington, D.C. So, uh,
1: like I said, I'll
2: go wherever, whoever wants me, I'll come and talk about it. I I love to share the story.
1: So you and Anna are on the road together with the good Lord.
2: (laughs) Yes, I really feel like Lily, uh, her name was Anna in the book, but I really feel like Lily is with me every step of the way. And I do thank God for that.
1: Well, do you think there'll be part two? Uh, or uh, do you think he'll discover more you know, if you go to Nigeria that maybe you might write a second book?
2: I would love to—a uh, The a portion of all the proceeds of the book go to the Medical Missionaries of Mary. They are still in Abakalaki, which is right close to Agogia, and it's one of the areas that Lily worked. So a portion of the proceeds go to Abakalaki toward education in Lily's honor. And I would love to go with them and go to Avakaliki and maybe write another book. I'm not sure it would be as interesting, but uh, I would give it a go. And then, I, you know, I, I would see where she was, and uh, I think it would be fascinating.
1: Well, we'll have to pray on that. So I'd like to thank yeah. you so much, Monica Shaw, for joining us. She's the author okay. of Rainwater Secret. And thank you for coming on Catholics on the Capitol today.
2: Okay, thank you very much for having me.
1: Well, that wraps up our show today, and I hope you all enjoyed listening to our intriguing interview from Monica Shaw and her brilliant book called Rainwater Secret, and her historical novel about her aunt Anna Goodwell and the medical missionary Sisters of Mary. If you wanna get the book, www.rainwatersecret.com if you wanna get Monica Shaw's book. And the inspiring story that Dan told today For Jonathan Terrell, a real-life hero running on faith and prayer around the world, that was fantastic. Thank you, Dan and Jonathan, for that wonderful interview. And thank you to our spiritual friend and special weekly guest, Father Jack Hurley, who's a wonderful priest from the famous Cathedral of St. Matthews the Apostle, and those wonderful saint stories about Mother Catherine Drexel and St. Felicity father is hosting his bible series and there are many things going on in the cathedral this week especially today at three o'clock friday we have the stations of the cross and then they have a meet and greet afterwards to meet some new people in washington i want to thank michael for joining me today about pope francis and let us keep his holiness in our prayers and i'd like to thank dan with his stories about what to do in washington dc it's always a fun segment So, my friends, I'd like you to remember that without faith, it's impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that his rewards those who seek him. That's from Hebrews 11.6. For we walk by faith and not by sight. These are definitely quotes from the Bible to remember. I'd like to end up with one of my favorite prayers today, which is especially important to the Guadalupe Radio Network. It is a prayer to Our Lady of Guadalupe, who is the patroness here of our radio station. We need your prayers and donations to help our network with the Capital Campaign. So please keep this inspiring and wonderful Catholic radio station in your hearts and prayers. A year ago, I visited the Shrine of Our Lady of Guadalupe right outside Mexico City, and it was making that pilgrimage that I pray to Our Lady, and I never thought I would be working here at the Guadalupe Radio Network to write and host this great program, Catholics in the Capitol. I think the Lord Jesus had a wonderful opportunity lined up for me, so I'm glad that I had had the chance to be able to be part of this show and be part of this great team. So I'd like to ask you to listen to this beautiful prayer that I have to Our Lady of Guadalupe. I'm going to read it. Oh, most sacred Jesus. We entrust this network to you and to our Blessed Mother, calling to mind your words, Lord Jesus Christ. Come after me, and I will make you fishers of men. We humbly beseech thee to hear and answer our prayer for the Guadalupe Radio Network. O Mary, Mother of Jesus, Mother of His Church, we are aware of the role you play for evangelization of our souls. We are mindful of how you have come to this earth, under many titles to reach your children through the ages missionaries came with the power of christ's gospel and the commitment to the success of their work to you we join those missionaries in dedicating our work of evangelization through the guadalupe radio network we pray that you will guide our every effort We ask you, merciful mother, to help us fulfill this mission of evangelization, which your son has given to his church and which falls to us, mindful of your role as the help of Christians. We entrust ourselves to you in the work of carrying the gospel ever deeper into our hearts and the lives of all people through the airwaves. In faith, we commit to persevere in casting our nets upon the airwaves of America. And in charity, may our catch be a multiple of souls, all for the greater glory of thy kingdom. And through the intercession of Our Lady of Guadalupe, we pray for the ocean of listeners who hear thy gospel message, that they will respond with the faith of deep conversion that transforms lives unto eternity. Amen. Dear friends of Jesus and Mary, thank you for tuning in today, and may God bless you and your family. If you'd like to contact me or write me a comment, you can email me at Cox at grnonline.com or like us on our Catholics in the Capital Facebook page. And on our Facebook page are lots of photos and information on our guests and co-hosts, so please send us a message. Thank you to our wonderful radio sponsor, the Mona Electric Group and Vince Cap Mona. Tune in next week when we will have an interview with Paul McCluster, producer and writer of The Trails of St. Patrick and their new audio theater project for the Augustine Institute. And another guest will be joining us on the journey of faith and hope and learn how St. Patrick overcame his survival and turned to God in prayer. You will not want to miss this show. I am Christina Cox, your radio host for Catholics in the Capital. Don't forget to tune in next Friday at 1 o'clock on WMET 1160 AM on the Guadalupe Radio Network. Join me in saying, may God bless the Roman Catholic Church and may God bless America.